Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, please. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. When I was in high school, my grandmother lived with us. That was, those were sweet years. I, I enjoyed uh, very much having Grandma in the house. And uh, she, would, uh, she, she was very consistent. Everything was the same all the time. Grapefruit for breakfast. She'd stay uh, and help my mom uh, wash up the dishes. That was all the dishes she'd do. Because uh, in the evening when the whole family was there, uh, that was up to us <laughs> to do the dishes. And she, so she, she took the morning round of dishes, which wasn't very many. And she would uh, crochet most of the day, just a lot of crocheting. And I still have some of that stuff uh, in my property. Um, she'd watch shows and, and things of that nature, but it was always the same thing with Grandma. One of her favorite things was making puzzles. And she had usually those big 5,000-piece puzzles going at a time, and she'd finish one in just a short time and pull out another and keep it going. And we, uh, we grandchildren had a little bit of a ornery streak in us, I think, that when we were heading out to school, we'd take one piece and put it in our pocket and take it to school with us. And uh, guess who was waiting by the door like this when we came home? Because she expected that puzzle piece back. And it was usually all done but one piece. There was always that one piece, and she knew we had taken it to school with us that day. And that's kind of the funny thing that I was thinking of here this morning when... Uh, I, I kind of laugh in myself because I think I'm talking about the efficient functioning of the church, and guess what? We're having some challenging days where the church isn't here. It's like a puzzle piece missing, and you say, it's just not quite all together. So it, it just makes me laugh a little bit when I think about that. Uh, we're talking about something so vital for us as a, a fellowship to understand and to operate according to and yet at the same time, our challenge in our era right now is obvious. <laughs> we just can't quite get together on these things. But that's all right. The, God's Word is consistent, and it's always here in front of us. And we are in First Corinthians 1. We are studying chapter 12. I do promise that. I did say that's what our series is all about. First Corinthians chapter 12. And this I hope to be, I plan to be, I, I intend it to be anyway, the last week of introduction. Now, don't turn off just because I said those words. All right? uh, I believe chapter 1 uh, is the introduction to understanding the Corinthian church. And we need to understand that church. The, the information is so rich. It's just so full of information that has great value to our understanding of God's master plan for the church. What God is doing... And uh, I honestly know that we could spend a year in chapter 1. I'm not going to do it, all right? I'm not going to do that. But uh, there's so much information here, and that's my dilemma. Every time I go into a paragraph or two of God's Word, the, the well gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and there's so much to share. And so I'm going to try to show a little self-restraint here and say that this is our last week in the introduction section before we get into chapter 12, all right? So, chapter 1, 4 through 9. 
I thank my God always concerning you, Paul writes, for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as a testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We're going to walk through this one more time here today. Heavenly Father, help us as we have this word open in front of us to glean much, to understand how you actually have composed and how you keep the church and the plans that you have for it. And I just pray you bless our time as we do that. We obviously pray for so many of our fellowship who can't be here today because of illness especially, and we pray for them, that you might undergird them with your strength, heal them up, Lord, uh, bring them back to us real soon, we pray. And for those who are not ill, may they be kept safe from this as well. But for now, let us, Lord, give our attention to your word and help us with it, we pray. Uh, challenge us to really work in our hearts and make us different because we've spent this time with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the Corinthian church, I call it the Corinthian Bible church. (laughs) I like to use that term all the time. It was very immature. That's my simplest statement. It was very immature. They shouldn't have been that way. That was not where they should have been, but they had let their culture shape them. They had let the sins of that culture run rampant in among them. It was an unhealthy church. That's how simple I could make this. Uh, And honestly, anything that's really not properly aligned according to God's plan is, at the very least, inefficient. And that's a soft answer. The reality is that they were living in disobedience to God's word. And that's what the problem was. Um, we just read through the passage here. And note that the key of verse 4 through verse 9 is on what God has done. What, ha- what God has done to make the church. It's his. It's his plan. It's not a creation of man. This, I think, needs underscored. It doesn't require man's opinion. It doesn't require man's wisdom, or man's power, or man's wealth, or man's strategy for it to succeed. It does not. Sometimes we get into that thinking that, well, maybe we've got to do something to make the church work. The church was planned by God, right? We have that information. Purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? The church is owned by Jesus. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's shaped and matured to the image of Jesus. It's kept by the power of God. It's preserved for its heavenly fulfillment. And someday that church will stand in glory. I look forward to that. It's going to stand in glory, presented by Jesus Christ before the throne, Standing before the Father, then the words tell us this. Pure, it will be holy, it will be complete, it will be mature, it will be without wrinkle or spot or any other deficit. 
standing finished in the image of Christ. Do you believe it can happen? God said so. That's what, I mean, that just excites me. Right away I read that and I say, this is great. We can't make that happen. And we can't make it not happen. That's what God has done. It's not ours. It's His. That's just a simple way of saying all these things. The the Corinthian church operated completely opposite to God's plan. That's what our problem is as we're going into this text. They inserted their wisdom in there. They inserted their eloquence in there. They inserted their abilities and their strategies. And guess who got the glory? They patted themselves on the back. Aren't we pretty good? It's kind of funny that they thought that way. You know, it's kind of like a child coming home with a D- minus on his report card and thinking it's something to be proud of. You've never met any like that, have you? This is our Corinthians that we're studying here. I, I reminded you several weeks before that I believe the church loses its efficiency to function, its effectiveness, its, its fruit-bearing capabilities when, when they replace God's plan with the cleverness and the ability of man and not the supremacy and the power of God. It will not work because it's not God's plan that way. The church was bought with an incredible price tag. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. He said, I will build my church. The church also is his project. I will build my church. I love that phrase. He's going to construct it. It's his project. It's his work. He will build it. Future indicative for Greek scholars out there. That means it will happen. That's reality, not maybe. Not I hope so. Not, oh, it's a dream. It sounds like good intentions. That's not it at all. He says, I will. And I love those words together. It will be constructed. It will be finished. And how he does this and why he does this, it's amazing to me, but he employs us in the service of it. He puts us in there to do something. We're not just collections on a shelf, all right? The Lord didn't say, well, I'm going to save people and I'm just going to put them like little statues on a shelf so everyone can look up there and see how many I've got. He actually saves us for a purpose, doesn't he? He saves us to be part of this body, to function. He puts us in there for a reason. We're not just here as leftover pieces and parts. When we get into 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to see that's especially the issue. Because they thought, well, you're not important. This attitude was in their church. Oh, you're not important. I'm important, but you're not important. And they were comparing themselves in different things as to, well, my part's more important than your part and all these other things. Jesus employs all of us in the ministry of his church. That's what he's done. We're going to study that thoroughly, but that's part of it. He's put us there, by the way, he's put us in there for the sake of the church. You're in the church of Jesus Christ because he needs you to minister to the rest of the people in the church of Jesus Christ. 
You're here for the sake of his church. Your gift is not for you. Your gift is for everybody else. My gift is not for me. It's for everybody else. And it's good that we get that perspective. We're going to see it as we go along. But when all of this is functioning, all of this is maturing, all of this is working its way out, and then eventually Jesus Christ comes for His church and takes us home, what is the final result? I love it. The final result, the church will resemble Him. It will resemble Him. That's our Ephesians 4 passage. Just two verses, 15 16. I read it to you last week. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, who, from whom, that's through Christ, the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, there's our function, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It will happen. I'm excited about that. And you know, when it comes down to it, the Lord says, this is not some, uh, some concept I just kind of threw out there and said, hey, let's see if it sticks. You know, he planned this from before the world was even made. From beginning to end, he was already in the process of not only thinking this all through, but thinking of you in this plan too. In Ephesians, it says in chapter 1, verse 3, some of my favorite verses, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Just as He chose us. Circle that in your mind. I'd like to say just as He chose me, because I know it's personal. But He didn't say it that way. He says He chose us. That's a group. That's the church. In Ephesians, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That blows my mind. There's a little song we used to sing when I was young in school in church. It was called, I was in his mind before the world began. I was in his mind. It, it's just a, a, a precious little number that, you know, it's amazing to think through. He already was thinking of me. But not only did he do that before, but at the very end, it goes on to say, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be, all the way to the other extent, holy and blameless before him. So God has us covered. You see it? From eternity past to eternity future, that's his big plan. How likely are we to mess that up? We're not. Oh, do we mess up local churches? Oh, pretty good. It shouldn't be that way. And the Corinthian church shouldn't have been that way. But that's why Paul's addressing it like he does. He says, folks, what you really need to study is not the church per se, but the God who made the church. Because once you understand what he's done, then you start to see where all the pieces go into place. And we're a piece. And we've got to understand how this works. So, when we study the Corinthian church, I have to remark on this. It's simple. It's right here in our passage. They had every advantage any church could ever have. So do we, by the way. 
the way God's designed this, everything is here. Sometimes when, when we go to counsel people who are, let's say, greatly underachieving what they ought to be. Is that a nice way of saying it? All right. They're, they're greatly underachieving something and they're struggling with their Christian walk. And they come in and they say, what, what, what do we do? Uh, sometimes it's, it's good just to go back and say, you know, God didn't make you that way. That's not his plan. That's not the way it is. I'm not talking of some fluffy, psycho, philosophical stuff here. It's many times we encourage people by just boosting their ego and telling them something that we hope that might be true someday. But what Paul does with the Corinthian church in trouble, he goes to the realities. He says, this is what it is. This is what you're supposed to be. And from that, we could take our lives and lay it against that measure and say, how are we lining up? So it's not, it's not, it's not anything but the reality based on the Word of God, what God has said about His church. So, it's as if Paul's saying, as he writes this letter, right here in this first chapter, Corinthians, he says, Corinthians, I want to reaffirm to you the plan Jesus has for his church, for its efficient functioning. It's based on what he's already done to guarantee its success. That success is not measured in numbers or bank accounts or buildings or programs or ministries or personnel. It's based on the image of Jesus Christ and it must look like him. That's how he begins his letter. Walk with me just again. We started a little bit last week. We're going to finish it this time. Chapter 1, verse 4. His description of the church. This is God's view, okay? This is God's view. Verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given you in Christ Jesus. He has given his grace to the church. I've told you before, don't ever minimize that phrase. Our world has a problem today. So often they are distorting grace. We've talked about that all last year, didn't we? The distortion of God's grace that goes in, in circles today. But God has given His grace. His grace. Not ours. We didn't make it up. We don't manufacture it. We, it's His. It belongs to Him. You know what it is. It's a very simple fact that you even exist. Do you know that's a, an act of God's grace? Ephesians 2, 8. Most of you know it. If I started it, you'd finish it. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, so no one should boast. Right? We know that passage. It's all in our system. When I was taking Greek class at Tyndale Seminary, Dr. Couch, my teacher, he says, have you ever looked at that verse? And I said, oh, oh. isn't it just like it is? Uh-uh. He says, no. It says this, and he showed it, and it's amazing. It's fun. I should pop it up here and point it all out, but I won't. For by grace, you are. That's the sentence. Everything else is explaining that. But the statement is, 
For by grace you are. That's the word for existence. The very fact you exist today is God's grace. What you can do to breathe and your heart to beat, that's God's grace. That you have oxygen in the air, that you have food to eat, water to drink, that's God's grace to you. He gives grace abundantly for our existence. And then even better, He gives us grace for our salvation too. And that's the rest of it. Having been saved by faith, that's also God's grace. And that's special to us. But everybody on this planet is living by the grace of God just because they exist. It's His kindness toward them. It's His mercy toward them. I would love that everybody on this planet knew Him too. But the reality is, so many of them just take advantage of what God has given to them and never give credit to the Creator. They never acknowledge who He is, who gave them life in the first place. Life is not created by man, it's given by God. For by grace you are. That's the first part of that phrase. When it says God gave grace to this church, understand this. That church stood because of God's grace. That church existed because of God's grace. It was all in God's work. It was all God's gift that they had what they had. Our church exists by the grace of God. 128 years, I think it is now. We just had Christmas Eve, our anniversary, every single year. Was that 1894? I think that's the year it started. We're up moving along almost to 130 years. I think I got the math right. It's Sunday morning. But that's by His grace, folks. That's by His grace that we exist. Everything that, that I, I just have to say it that way. When, when we start with what do we have, where do we start? Start with thank you, God. That's what he does in verse 4. Thank you for the grace. Second item. He's given us everything. Everything. You say, yeah, but we don't have Porsches out in the parking lot. That's not what we're talking about. You know that. What is he talking about? In verse 5, that in everything, everything, see the word everything? Underline it. You can't miss that, can you? There were times in, in the past where people would say, well, you got most things, but you don't have everything. You need a couple of extra things. You need a special thing. Maybe it was in some charismatic circles, a, a special anointing by the Spirit, or you needed a second baptism by the Spirit. And other things have gone through theologically. And yet I read this word and I see everything and I say, what's missing? It says everything, doesn't it? In everything you were enriched in Him. In all speech and in all knowledge. You were enriched. The word is to make wealthy. God didn't leave His church as a pauper. He has given it every single thing in abundance. In abundance. His valuable bestowments He has given to us. His, his spiritual blessings are manifested in us. We know because of Him. We speak because of Him. He has given to us all the gifts as well. And it's unfortunate when a church like the Corinthian church, believers start to begin to believe that the abilities of knowledge and of speech are generated from themselves. They've taken the glory away from God. 
They've taken away the gratitude that he's supposed to receive. They haven't been giving it to him because they said, look, I'm so smart. I'm so, I'm so gifted. You know, I'm so eloquent. The simple things is that we're able to know spiritual things due to the Holy Spirit. That's it. There's no glory in that for myself or for you. It's because of Him that we know what we know and we do what we do. Spiritual things come from the Spirit. Don't take pride in that. Don't take pride in that. You didn't do it. God did it. Mentioned right here. By the way, He's not going to let you forget it either. It's all over Scripture. He's left evidence all around you to remind you it's all about Christ in you. And the day Christ isn't in this church, this church is done. That's how simple that is. Because it's all about Him. Look at verse 6. Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. It's a testimony. It's a witness. Over and over and over again. How many things do we see that gives us evidence that God's at work in our midst? We've seen some wonderful things here, haven't we, in the last 11 years? Incredible things here. We, we pray for Renita, and that's still miracle number one on the list to me, when she had those lung transplants. And I look at that and I say, wow, look what God has done. We see people come and know Christ as Savior, and we step back and say, wow, look at what God has done. Over and over and over again, the testimony has shown us that Christ, is confirmed in you. Confirmed in you. He's going to use that word twice, and I'll get to it the second time and define it a little better. But this is really exciting to know that God has given us evidence over and over and over again that He's here and present and working. And it's a good thing to stop and say, thank you, Lord, for all that too. And it brings me to a conclusion. Not conclusion like sermon's over? Nope, not quite that. Conclusion in the passage. Okay? I have right next to my notes here three little letters and a star. There's a star and it says IMP. You say, well, what's that? There was a, there was a sweet lady. Her name was Ann Vickroy. Vickroy. She was, a, it was, she was in my first church at the time. She was well up in her 80s. She was a, this is funny, really. Our church was made up of Southern Methodists, Southern Presbyterians, United Presbyterians, Episcopalians, uh, and they didn't know what to call themselves. So they called themselves the Community Church. It just really was. They didn't even know how to come up with a doctrinal statement to match that, so they asked a school down the street to write one for them. It was kind of a funny setup. Anyway, so, anyway, she was a, she was a Episcopalian from many years back, and she read like no one I have ever seen before. She just constantly was reading another theological book, another one, good ones, I mean, excellent books. She soaked herself in them. And then when she'd done, she'd hand them to me and say, here, Pastor, you can have this one too. My bookshelf is full of some of her books, and always they're underlined, 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 underlined. And then where the, it's important, it had a star and an IMP on the corner. And guess what it meant? Important. And that's what she marked them with. And so when I was reading her books, 
I saw that star, I saw those letters, and guess what? I paid attention. That's important. And I appreciated the way she did that with her books. It's in my notes right now. Right there. It's a little star and an IMP, because in verse 7 through verse number 9, there are conclusions here. Results, big results, of understanding what God has done and the purpose for it. You ready? Here we go. He did this so that, and that's the way I've got to underline each point. Point number one. He did this so that the church was not lacking anything it needed for success. Look at verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift. It was not lacking anything it needed for success. The word lacking here, it, it speaks of being inferior. It, it speaks of coming short or being deficient or being destitute or, or being in want. He says, that is not God's plan. It is not. I even put the word never because of the way he has worded these things. It will never be lacking. Do you know why we don't have? James tells us, because we ask not. And then we have another problem. He goes on to add, and yet when you do ask, you ask because of selfishness. But in this picture, understand, when God is providing for his church, when he is filling up his church, it's not missing what it needs. It's not like a grocery store today. God's church doesn't have empty shelves. God's provision is there. We just need to walk his way. That's where the supply is. He did this, number two, so that. He did this so that the church would always... Keep its eye on the one who purchased it. Look at the rest of verse number 7. What are they waiting for? Eagerly awaiting. Always expecting. The revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He could come today, right? Did you wake up expecting that? Or did you wake up and say, Oh, I think it's Sunday. You know, there's that feeling too. It's Mondays like that too. You know, it's almost seven days a week, uh, right? When you first wake up. Do we expect Jesus Christ to come? He did make that comment. When he, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I hope he finds it here. I hope he finds it with us. That we're, we're doing that. God did all this so that we don't have to keep our eye on all this. But keep our eye on Him. Because that's who the church is all about. That's who we're waiting for. It's like the bride waiting for her wedding day. What is the most important thing to her? When that groom comes in the room. The church ought to think that way. God did it so that the church would always keep its eye on the one who purchased it. Number three. He did this so that the church will always trust the Lord Jesus Christ and how he will complete it in the end. Trust and completion go hand in hand here. We need to trust him because we don't see the end yet, do we? Unfortunately, living down here on this earth, we see the challenges. 
We see the holes. We see the problems. We see the gaps. We see the parts missing. We see the inefficiency of parts. We see other parts that just aren't working at all. At all. And we say, I, I don't Lord, know, Lord, how this is ever going to be completed. It's like a construction site where all they do is dump the stuff out of the truck and spread it all over the yard and then drive away. You say, well, how's that going to help? Some people think that's a good view of the church. It's just scattered timber here and there and piece and part and everything else. When's it all going to come together? When's it going to look right? When's it going to work right? Well, folks, it's being built by a master carpenter. He knows how to do it. And when it's done... He will complete us. Verse number 8. Here's that second time the word confirm is used here. Same word. He shall also confirm you to the end. Blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to hear the definition? Yeah, you do. This is a good word. This is literally what it means. To confirm is to put it beyond doubt. To put it beyond doubt. That's the word. That's the Greek word there. Put it beyond doubt. It means to legally validate it. This was used in courtrooms. This was used with with documents. This is legal. We stamp it. We mark it. We say it's true. That's the word you're looking at here. There's no doubt. There's no question. It's been approved. It's legally validated. Here's the other word that goes with it. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. And I know that word is kind of uh, a little concerning to us today. Used to be a guarantee was as sure as, you know, a bank account or whatever else you want to handshake, whatever you want to call it. We said, well, it was sure because he guaranteed it. Today we say, well, so what? But when you put it in spiritual circles and what God's doing, isn't that a beautiful word right now? It's guaranteed. It is put beyond doubt. He will also confirm you to the end. Blameless. That is remarkable. Because I think that as a whole, the church has a lot of blame. I'm glad Jesus Christ paid that on the cross. But could you imagine standing in front of him someday blameless? That is so amazing to me. Philippians 1, six, my favorite verse of all of these, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began the good work in you will complete it. He will perfect it. He will finish it in the day of Jesus Christ. It will be done. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand, here's the Stand in the presence of His glory, blameless, and folks, even with great joy. You think when you get up there, you're going to be scared to death. I I don't know if I want to stand before Him. You're going to be blameless, and you're going to have joy. By the way, this praise goes to our only God, our Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. To Him be the majesty and the glory and the dominion and the authority before all time and now and forever and ever and ever. Our final destination, blameless, in the day of Jesus Christ. 
It's all based on something so important in verse number 9. We fly by verse number 9 and say, well, you know what? Uh, that's kind of nice how he put this. God is faithful. Yeah, we believe that. Through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm going to come back on the faithful phrase, but let me give you this first. Our call. Our call. Our call is to the fellowship. The New American Standard says, with Jesus. The Greek has the word ice there. That's into. Into Jesus. And you say, well, what? or you may have unto, if you have a King James, you're reading it and say, unto. What, well, how's that work? What, what exactly does that mean? It's a little preposition. And let me picture it for you and then explain it. When you are watching somebody going into a house, you see them walk up to the door, open the door, walk in. The minute they close that door, they're in the house. You no longer see them. All you see is the house. Now you got the word. Because the word is you've been called into Jesus Christ. You've been, you were out there in the world. You were lost. You were blind. You were trespassers in sin. You were dead in your sin. All those things. And yet, by His grace, and through his power, you've been saved, you've been brought into Jesus Christ. And the world no longer should see you, but see who? Him. Because we've been called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. That's what they should be seeing in us. Not us, but him. Him. That's a, that's a, it, it, it's so important because he, he's the centerpiece of the church. He's the author of the church. He's a purchaser of the church. He's the provider for the church. He's the builder of the church. He's the designer of the church. The supplier of the church. Its results, its destination, it's all about Jesus Christ. When it's all said and done, it will be Him that gets the glory. Because we're called into that. And it should be all about Him. I think I'm up to number four. If you're keeping track and your numbers are different than mine, I put number four here. So why did He do all this? He did this so that the church will always count on the fact that God is faithful. Back to that first part of verse nine. God is. What does is mean to you? Is that different than was? Yeah, when we say was, that, that could be over, right? Or God might be, or God we hope to be, or God someday might be, or will be. It doesn't say anything like that. It's just two little letters, but it's so potent. God is. That means right now, guess what? He is. Guess what? In ten minutes from now, He is. It's not going to change. I love that about him. That's why his name was I am and not I was. <laughs> I am. It fits him. God is faithful. It's not our faithfulness. It's not. It's not our giftedness. It's not our strategy. It's not our program. The list can go on and on and on and on. But it's not us who makes or keeps or finishes the church. It's Him. 
And it's His faithfulness. I love that about Him. How many times the Lord has encouraged me with that over the years in ministry? I could tell you some stories. Uh, One, particularly, I remember a Christmas day when I was up in Butler, Indiana. And uh, all week long I was getting the messages. I mean, we ran 25 people in the church. It was pretty small potatoes there. Small town. It was a beautiful fellowship. And they kept calling me and saying, Pastor... This is a Christmas we go out and be with so-and-so, you know, and, and all these other things. And Christmas Day was Sunday. And I start to think on my hands, who's going to be in the congregation? And when I was done with my thinking, it was me and my wife and a couple of my children. And I said, that's going to be the whole church service Sunday. I said, okay. Well, I thought of that all week long. I came into that Sunday morning, got up, we got together, we just went over to the church. It was only 30 feet from the house. Nice commute. And we walked into the church. There were 40 people in that church that day. One family brought all their relatives. It was their year to have it at their house. And boy, was that a lift for my heart. I mean, it sounds so silly sometimes you think. But, you know, when you're, when you're looking at the tangible... You're looking at the physical, and you're saying, well, you know, I read these things, and I know they're true, and they're, they are. And once in a while, he says, let me just surprise you today. And he does something like that. He's done that several occasions for me, in days that I thought were going to be the hardest days of ministry, and they turned out to be the biggest blessings. The biggest blessings, because this is God's church, not mine. And I could count numbers, and I could talk about deficits, and I could talk about things not working and all the rest. But when it comes down to it all, it's God who's faithful. It's not us. And He has a way of encouraging the heart. So what were those four results? God is at work in His church, so it does not lack success. It will always keep Him in its thoughts and expectations. It will remember that He will finish the job. And we will always praise him for his faithfulness. We always will. All that means is that if the church is to grow, if it's to move beyond immaturity, if it's going to become more efficient in its function, it needs to know how it was built in the first place. So it can operate accordingly. It's not us. It's him who must be the centerpiece of the church. Now, I know I could speak this way to individual believers among us and try to help people who are struggling, and maybe all that does. Maybe it encourages your heart today because you've been frustrated with something in your spiritual walk, and it's great to know God's got that too, doesn't he? And it's good to know that. And I talked to you, I could remind you of that, of how he's in your life and how it's going to turn out. But the bigger picture in all this is you and I are not finishing this without each other. It says something so profound in Hebrews chapter 11. Most people skip it because they don't know what it means. It says at the very end, after all the testimonies of the men and the women of faith and all the great things they did by faith, it comes down and says, the finished project is not complete until the whole church is complete. And he says, 
all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God has provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. They would not be complete. They would not be finished. All the other believers that's ever walked this planet is waiting for us to join them in the finished product. It's not about me by myself, is it? It's us. And when it's all said and done, the church will be finished when the whole church is finished. We're going to get into chapter 12 next week, but you see what the problem the Corinthians were having. They were self-focused. They were not church-focused. And they certainly were not Christ-focused. And so brace yourself for chapter 12. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Boy, it's good to read what you have done. How great you are. How wonderful you are. We give you the praise for that today. Thank you for being so active in our lives. For making this all true as it is true. It's in your word. It says so. And we are encouraged by it today. I do pray you bless our fellowship. Ever keep our eyes on you, we pray. So that your name will be first from our tongue. When people want to say things about us, let us talk about Jesus. And we praise you for all you've done for us. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.